0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. One two, one, two three. Four. Uncle Joe. There's no bad guy like Uncle Jay. No, the law is not even around. Undefeated, undisputed, oh, yeah. Here comes a bad guy here. Yeah. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. We have to just throw everything out and start from step one. I was reading an interview today by Yoel Romero. Somebody who I have appreciated since he was a teenager and I first saw him representing the Cuban national team in freestyle wrestling. And he was talking about why he was released from the UFC and he was sharing that it was because he had turned down so many fights. Now I appreciated this interview And Yoel told us things that he did not owe us. And that's very fun as a fan or a viewer to get a look behind the curtain. So I do not want to take tone with Yoel Romero, who shared something with us that was frankly none of our business. I want to be appreciative that he shared it. At the same time, I don't have the foggiest idea how he could get to the conclusions that he got to. He talked about in the interview that they were offered as a team. Uriah Hall... Derek Brunson, and there was another name, and that he turned all of them down, and that he didn't see any reason why he should be jumping in there with some of the younger guys, that he saw a different road to a world championship. Now you see where those don't go hand in hand. If you were to be an elder fighter as Yoel is, Yoel is 44 years old. If you are the elder fighter and you're saying, I want to go in there and fight with other older fighters. Okay, great. You may have a place in this organization. You may not. But that cannot go hand in hand with the argument of, I want to go fight for the championship. If you begin putting categories, that's not the world. The world is absolutely anybody. And everybody. So once you start putting it in categories as a path to the championship, you see where these, uh, these collide. Moreover... And you can't fully blame Joel Romero. This is where you have to start looking at the management. Yoel Romero came from an amateur wrestling background. Just to put that in perspective for you guys, you get to go and try to be world champion anytime you're willing to go and try to be world champion. There is a tournament. There is a deduction process for who qualifies and who gets to go to that tournament, but you get to try at some part of that process every single time you raise your hand until you quit raising your hand. No matter how close you get, or even if you achieve it, you can come back, do it again, get swatted away, come back and try again, but not in the pros. So you can't fully blame Yoel because this is the mindset that he operated for a better part of his time on this earth. But for a manager to not explain to him how this works, and he's not, in all fairness, you're not going to get that. The only one that knows less about this business than the fighters doing it are the managers. Like, if you were to put your heads together and have a rock pile, you'd take some fighters and their managers, and you'd have a really hard time figuring out who the smartest one is, but you'd have a really easy time figuring out which one of them was the dumbest. How do you get a world championship fight? Let's start with that. Let's start with that. You want to mystify the managers and the experts in the room? Go ask them how you get a title fight. And if they talk to you for 15 minutes, you have wasted 14. You do not get a title fight in a a sport that does not have a competitive architecture, except for one way. Do you know what that way is? I'm pausing to hear the answers. Do you know what that way is? If any of you have said the word ranking, go put yourself in the stupid pile with the rest of them. If any of you have said to beat the guy ranked in front of me, go put yourself in the stupid pile. If any of you have said to fight a former champion, put yourself in the stupid pile. If any of you have said to become the number one contender, put yourself in the stupid pile. You get a world championship one way. The same way since 1993 when they set the octagon up for the first time. The fans want you to get it. That's it. Do you have a mandate of the masses or not? Hard stop. There is no opponents that you go through. That's not the way it works. And if you and your team sat down to try to figure out... Who you should fight as a way of getting to the championship. That's never worked. That's a dumb thing for you to even say. Answer your phone and say yes when it rings. Step one. Get on television by answering your phone and having said yes and make somebody impressed. Grab a microphone, do the media that's built into the fight that you got a phone call for, and captivate. That is how you get a world title fight, and that is the only way you get a world title fight, and that is the only way anybody's ever gotten a world title fight. Oh, by the way, as a byproduct, yes, it's largely the same guy. You, generally, the fans will get behind and support somebody who's winning and winning regularly, but there is no other path. There has never been a path. There never will be whether you like that or you don't. If I was to ask you right now, who did Izzy Adesanya fight and beat... To qualify himself for a world title fight, not one of you know the answer. And it just happened. If I was to ask any one of you, who did Conor McGregor beat to qualify for a world title fight? Who was that bet? Not one of you could answer, and he's the biggest star in the sport. If I was to ask any one of you, who did Mike Tyson beat to qualify to fight Larry Holmes for the world championship at 20 years old? Not one of you could answer. And it's one of the biggest boxing fights of all time. You can't answer because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's never been a part of the equation. It has never, ever been about who you beat and what order you beat them, ever. What is your placement on the card? How many media opportunities can you get when you sit down at a press conference and you sit up there with seven other guys? Are you getting more questions than they are? Real simple. Real simple. When you go to your social media, how many followers do you have? How engaged are the real, simple, quantifiable numbers to let you know if the people are behind what you're doing? It would not matter the three opponents that you, well, turned down or accepted. There is no path through competition to guarantee you a title shot. One thing will guarantee you that shot, which is the fans wanting you to have it. Generally speaking, for those of you who don't like that, that are refusing to understand that we're in the entertainment era and wanted just a good straight competition, the good news for you is generally they're the same thing. So if you're coming out with some guys to prove the integrity to the sport and prove the integrity to the rankings, you're largely going to get to do that. You could hang your hat on that and ignore the reality, which is the fans want you. Or you can just tell the truth, which is the fans want you. Oh, and by the way, my number happens to support it. That's the way it works. There was no title shot coming up from Joel Romero. He could beat anybody. It wouldn't matter. He was 44 years old. He'd been there and done that. Give him three chances up. He stunk up, the, he stunk up the room against Adesanya. I mean, these are just the reality, right? He's not getting another shot. I don't suggest that the managers and the trainers and the people in his team tell him that. First off, it's rude. Second, Joel might not like that. You might not want to be the guy giving Joel this kind of news. But third, and moreover, you don't want to take his motivation away. He's got every right to be motivated. He's got every right to trace a dream. But you, So you're not wrong to allow some of this to happen as a way of serving the greater good, which is to keep a guy training, to keep a guy disciplined, and keep a guy focused. That's not wrong. You are wrong, very much so, if you didn't know the answer yourself, which is it's got nothing to do with who you beat. It's never had anything to do with who you beat or in what order you did it. I can come back and tell I'm blue in the face the fact that Daniel Cormier fought Patrick Cummins, who had never been in the organization, had never even fought in TV, as his fight prior to his world title fight. I could give you a million more stories like that. I asked you six minutes ago to tell me who Adesanya beat before he got a title fight. None of you could do it. And I could play that game with Amanda Nunes, Stipe Miocic, Peter Jan. I the entire division. And the reason you don't know is it doesn't matter, and it has never mattered. What was your placement on the card? How much media did you get? How engaged were people with you in social media? I mean, these are not only quantifiable numbers. These are public numbers that you could audit publicly. You will know for sure where you stand. And it doesn't have to, oh, I got to beat this guy, then I got to beat this guy. I go. What, what are you talking? Who said that? Who told you that? This isn't March Madness. This isn't even a bracket. There is no quarterfinals into the semifinals, off to the championship or default back to the blood round. These aren't amateur sports. I was stunned. I was stunned that Joel Romero came out and said he and his managers had laid out a path, didn't want to get in there with the young guys that would lead him to a championship, and he had actual names that he needed to beat. If some other athlete was to step in to Yoel's spot and follow the blueprint that Yoel laid out, which he can no longer do because he was released, say another athlete did, I was to tell you the three names that Yoel had. Is there any one of you that would then argue that that athlete that I just said, that with the path that Yoel had laid out, would qualify for a world championship? Would you be upset if he didn't? Would you expect him to? No, the answer is no. And you wouldn't know and you wouldn't care. And even the guys who have been there and done that, you don't know who they were. Who did Robert Whitaker have to beat to qualify for a world title fight? who Frank Shamrock have to beat to qualify for a World Title 5? I and mean, we can bring out the biggest names and we can go back as absolutely far as you want. None of you will know because it's not part of the story because it's not a real thing. Do the fans like you or don't they? How do I keep missing stuff? I feel like I've come to you guys more times in the last three weeks to give me information when that's my job. I'm supposed to get some information. I'm supposed to bring it to you. But Dana White came out today. He was doing press for Wonder Boy versus Jeff Neal. And he was talking about Adesanya will get a chance at Blahovich's light heavyweight title before Glover does, and that he would like, and this is Dana, Dana would like to make Adesanya versus uh, Jones somewhere in 2021. Okay, great. Back up and hold the thought. I thought this was done. Haven't we already been told that Adesanya's fighting Blachowicz? I saw the press for it. I saw the meat. I heard it from Izzy Adesanya's mouth, as a matter of fact. Now, I acknowledge that we never had a... Date, And guys, don't forget, as of right this second, are you aware of this? There are no world title fights booked. But again, we're just talking about the date. We know that Usman is going to fight Burns. We know that Stipe is going to fight Angano. I believe we've got confirmation that Megan and Amanda are going to redo that match. We know that Sterling is going to fight Jan. I mean, as I go through it, yes, sure, we don't have the date, but weren't we told that Adesanya's fighting Blahovich? I'm asking you that because if Dana had to come out and answer somebody's question today, that no Glover will not be getting the next shot at at Blahovich, in fact, Izzy will, it means I've missed something. Either I've missed something and somewhere the ball's up in the air on that or that reporter never should have asked the question and Dana let him slide and answered it like a gentleman instead of smacking him over the head with a frying pan and letting him know that's a really stupid question, I've already announced the fight. What One of us can't be right. One of us has got to be wrong. I'm assuming it's me. We're we're assumption. Considering I'm generally not wrong, maybe I should just assume it was this reporter. but this still happened all the same. Isn't that fight happening? I want to go a step further. Weren't we told that that fight was likely to happen in February or March? I mean, I feel like we were given a lot of details there. Now, as you look at the John Jones portion to this, is Adesanya versus Jones big enough fight to make, based purely on a grudge, which is the only thing that fight would be about, if Adesanya loses to Blahovich? I'm asking you a question. Would you want to see Adesanya versus Jones if Adesanya lost to Blahovich? So that tells you you're going to know two things if Adesanya loses. First off, there's going to be a narrative that he's not big enough to go 205. And secondly, when Adesanya and Jones fight, it's just a personal grudge. There's no strap on the line. Right? If Adesanya doesn't bring the belt, and John doesn't bring the belt, you got no belt on the line. Is it big enough? I... Hard no for me. I mean, I'll watch them boys fight anytime they want. I'll watch them arm wrestle. I'll watch them shout at each other on media. I understand all of that. What I'm asking is, if you're the promoter and you got to tie a 20 million dollar carrot to this between a uh, promotion, production, and purses, is it a is it a good enough bet? Are you sure enough? If Adesanya was to lose to Blahovic that you could repackage the Jones fight? I don't think so. I don't think there's very many fights that you could do that. But it's very relevant. It's extremely relevant because you have John Jones. Who is so sincere in his desire to go to heavyweight That he walked away from a title He is changing his body He claims to be up to 240 pounds We don't know if that's true But if we were to take him at his work And he's 240 pounds, by the way, the right way Looking pretty good You're now talking about everything going in reverse He's going to have to cannibalize his body Shed that muscle that he worked hard to get Go back to 205 pounds But he also gets what he wants, which is the biggest fight John Jones has been very straight up I don't care who I fight, but it needs a, 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 some commas and zeros on there. Okay, fair enough. But that's Adesanya. That's only Adesanya. Now imagine Adesanya gets beat by Blahovich. Does John go down and challenge Blahovic? Take everything off, come back down. Th- that would be a pretty special fight, in all fairness. I mean, the world title would be up. John would be coming back to reclaim it, which he's done a couple of times before. Oh, by the way, Blahovic is going to be a star if he beats Adesanya. Blahovich is a straight-up stud right now. He's going to be a star on top of being a stud if he gets through Adesanya. Is that big enough to add a comma and a zero and get John's attention? Because to get his attention, he's now going to have to change his lifestyle. I mean, right when you, If you got up to 240 the right way, if... I keep saying if because he sent out a picture and said he was 240. I mean, we didn't see him on a scale. He could be having some funny He weighs 229. Who knows what it is? If he is, in fact, a 240, though... You're talking about a, tr- a tremendous lifestyle change to get there, and you're talking about a tremendous lifestyle change to get back down. Is that enough, or is he going to go, no, to hell with it, I'm going to see this through, I'm going up to heavyweight? Because you're juxtaposing at that point, winner of Stipe and Gano versus Blahovich, when John himself is telling you, whichever one's bigger, that's where I'm going. So we're going to have to guess. We're guessing right now. We're using our imagination. If you close your eyes and picture how big of a household name in a draw is Blahovic going to be if he beats Anasanya. Okay, great. You got the answer? You got the answer, whatever that is? Okay. Is that a bigger householder name or star than either Stipe or Engano? And don't forget, however big Engano is right now, he's going to be bigger because he's going to have dusted Stipe. However big Stipe is right now, he's going to be bigger because he's going to have to dust Engano to get to that spot. I mean, do you see the problem? Great thing for us. I mean, as fans, in all fairness, we've got uh, some really cool things to look forward to in 2021. I'm trying to look at it purely from John Jones. What do I do? What do? Do I go left or do I go right? What do I do? Do I go up or do I go down? What do I do? I mean, john has got to be on the edge of his seat here. But which way do I go? Now I know what the common belief is going to be. It's going to be to come out and tease John Jones. If he goes up to heavyweight, then he was scared of Adesanya. If he goes after Adesanya, then he was scared to go to heavyweight. I get the whole thing. Guys, don't sound foolish. You call John Jones a lot of things. To call John Jones scared to fight, I mean, in all fairness, that's a silly statement. You're listening to Your Welcome with Jale Sonnen. All right, let me chat with you guys for a minute. Let me tell you about BlueChew.com and why you're going to love it. BlueChew.com offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom. Look, you guys will take a pre-workout before you go to the gym, right? So why wouldn't you take an enhancement before hopping in the sack? Want to be better? Need to be better? Or hey, maybe you just want to kick it up a notch. At BlueChew.com, you can get the first chewables with the same active ingredients found in Viagra and Cialis. BlueChew.com. Affiliated physicians work with you to find the dosage and active ingredient that is best for you. The chewables. From Blue Chew can be taken on a full or empty stomach. Online physician consultant is free. So it is cheaper than two of the other options, Viagra and Cialis. It only takes a few minutes to connect you with a Chew.com affiliated physician. And if you are qualified, to get you prescribed online quickly. No in-person doctor visit. No awkward conversations or waiting in line at a pharmacy. Ships directly to your door in discreet packaging. The Chewables from BlueChew.com are made in the USA and your partner will love it. Chew it and do it. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code CHAIL. Just pay 5 bucks for shipping. That's BlueChew.com. B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. Now, back to your welcome with Jale Sonnen. Jeff Neal versus Wonder Boy Thompson is a very interesting match. You know, if you go back and you look at Jeff Neal, and don't go any further than uh, go back and watch his fight with Mike Perry. But what you're going to see is you're going to see his explosiveness, you're going to see his power, and you're going to see his accuracy. No air balls, doesn't waste any energy, anything where he moves in a forward direction, reaches out, and touches something. Okay. Plus, he's got power. If there's anything we know about Perry, Perry could take a shot. This fight was over in like a minute. I mean, Jeff Neal really could sprint when he wanted to, and he looks the part. He's extremely athletic-looking. I mean, he's an intimidating-looking specimen. Okay. I bring that up because while you do have the athleticism, his moves, his techniques are very in the box. He's not hitting a jumping, spinning, rounding. This he's going to be right in your face. It's going to come at you fast. It's going to come at you hard. But it's going to be some of the basics. Meanwhile, he's got Wonder Boy. You're talking about the polar opposite. Wonder Boy comes out right. He's got that point karate background. So even his stance is different. The way he hops, the way he moves. He's going to keep some. Sometimes his hands are going to be down at his hips, coming at you from all angles. He'll lead with a side kick to the mouth. I mean, he real puzzle. Very tricky guy. Very tricky guy to even try to get a sparring partner uh, to emulate. I really feel like you got one crack at Wonderboy. And I'll tie this back to Lyoto Machida, who also came with that karate background. But you got one chance to figure this out. Because you're not going to have anybody in the sparring room that's going to do what they do. It's very tricky. I mean, even a night where Wonder Boy gets whipped, he never gets whipped by much. Right? I mean, even when he loses, they're tight. They are tight matches. He's a very hard guy, if not impossible by what we've seen so far, to dominate. Nobody just throws him down and keeps him there. Nobody's on their feet and just touches him up all night long. It's not like he's got a different style. He understands space. He understands range. You've got to come to him, and when you're coming to him, you're going to eat something. You're going to eat a knee. You're going to eat a kick. You're going to get slapped in the face. I mean, it's just one of these things... Where Jeff Neal is fast enough and he is explosive enough. Much like Tyron Woodley. Where if he can step in pop, and do some damage and he can change the night. Good and good luck to you. But that's your best hope for success. You're going to have to have some of those explosive movements. You're going to have to get to that target before it gets out of the way. Before you eat a kick. And then you're going to have to hope that it hurts. That it changes him. Tough style. Tough match. There's also a question that I cannot help but ask. And I have the right to ask, as a viewer, which is, why are we here? Why are we here? Why are we doing this? What exactly is on the line? And generally, I would have a pretty good answer to my own rhetorical question, which I would then pose for you guys. But I'm stuck on this one, because 170 is a little bit odd. I mean, 170 is a little bit odd when you have two championships, one around Usman's waist, one around Masvidal's waist. We're told that Usman is going to fight Burns next, and we believe it. We're unclear if Masvidal is ever going to defend his championship, or if that's even an option for him. We're very unclear on that. And it looks as though coming through the back door is a guy named Chemayev that's not going to be ignored. Should Chemayev get beat by Leon, we're also told that Leon was told on good authority, you take this guy, you beat this guy, and you're next. I mean, it's one of those things where what exactly is on the line? What exactly is... This, for, do these guys have a beef? Is it a personal grudge match? I love a personal grudge match, but generally, when it is a personal grudge, one guy isn't named Wonder Boy because he's the nicest guy you're going to meet and everybody loves him. And it, I mean, you see my problem here? What are we fighting for? What is this about? Is this just for fun? Is this because there was nothing else to do on a Saturday night? I'm in. I am in, but I would like to know so I could tell you and get you guys in. I'm a little confused as to how exactly we got here. This was supposed to be Jemiah versus uh, Leon, just to remind you guys where we were at COVID hit that fight one or both directions. And all of a sudden wonder boy and, and Neil go to the top of the bill. And every time wonder boy has done an interview this week, it's been about Shemaev. I haven't heard Neil say boo. I don't know if he's not getting interviewed. I don't know if his interviews were, I don't know. I have not heard anything from Neil. And when I do hear from wonder boy, he's talking about a guy that he's not even fighting, which brings me to the, what, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Let's also tell you another story. I'm a human being. I can't always get around that, the human element to it, right? I was backstage at a UFC. And I walked past this super sharp-dressed dude. He had on this fly jacket, tie, the whole bit. It was this red jacket. It looked fantastic looking. And I said to him, I said, man, you look sharp tonight. And the guy was on a cell phone, and he never so much as looked up. He continued texting whoever he was texting. He was wearing sunglasses, and he says, thanks. So I turn, and I keep walking. And I said to Helwani, who was the guy in the red jacket? And he said, that was Jeff Neal. I don't know. A little bit hard for me to like Neal at this point, isn't it? I mean, a little bit hard. He could have looked up. He could have he quit texting. He could have said, thanks, Chael. I was speaking to Ariel earlier today. We were doing Ariel and the bad guy. And he was sharing with me that he had just done an interview with Anthony Pettis. And he said, Chale, I've never seen Pettis like this. He said that Pettis has been working with a sports psychologist, working on the mental side of things. And he was very candid in sharing with Ariel some of what Pettis views as his own shortcomings. Some of the fears and anxieties he goes through. But he was even talking about alcohol, marijuana use, just some real life-changing decisions that he's made as of late. And, Air, and I said to Eric, I go, well, what do you mean? You said, you said you've never seen him like this. Does that mean you've never heard him discuss these things? Or he he seemed like a different person. He goes, dude, he was a different person. And I go, what? but explain this to me. What? I haven't seen the interview. Explain What do you mean? He said, okay. He goes, if I was to use a word, it would be maturity. He said there was just such a maturity coming out of, of Anthony Pettis. And, and he said that Pettis told him he's never been in a better spot mentally going into a fight. Now... Pettis is about to take on Alex. Alex is a total stud. He's also not a household name. Pettis was on the Wheaties box. Nominated for an ESPY with a Showtime kick. He's a former champion of the world. I mean, right, he's one of these guys you can't just get on the docket with. And I think one of the reasons that Alex is getting this opportunity, Pettis had shared this is his last fight on his contract. So it's one of those things, right? I mean, you see where the politics start to play. in. hey, if we're not going to have Pettis around, Then he's going to pass the shine to somebody else. He's going to pass the torch. Or if he's going to redo his contract, he's going to have to show he can beat one of these up-and-comers. And he's still got a spot. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. But at the same time, I think if we're learning anything from Pettis taking on Alex. I think if we're learning anything in the last 45 days, if you were to look at Bellator and the UFC together, 100 athletes, top athletes being released. From contracts, I mean, I think if we're learning anything, it's that us, the fan, is going to need to cling to something else. There is a changing of the guard. The likes, that the, the world of MMA as an industry has never seen. There has never been a time where a hundred athletes are released within 60 days from the world's two leading promotions. just has never happened. Simple as that. And we've always known that these younger guys, we've always known these up-and-comers are some real killers. They're just not always the names. It's just kind of the cycle that you go through. But we're now being forced, and they are being forced, to prove that they, in fact, are good enough to go with the boys. To go with the boys of yesterday. To go with the guys that you're used to watching. I think that we're seeing that from Alex. I think that Pettis is going to have an opportunity to prove this. And the more as I keep looking at some of these fights, I mean, I feel like we're about to see it with Cheeto Vera taking on... Jose Aldo. Jose has got to prove, man, I can still go with these guys. And Jose is willing and hungry enough and courageous enough to do that. Whereas in a different time, Achito Vera couldn't even get on the docket with Jose Aldo because Jose would have stopped him. He would have stopped him and said, no, not big enough name. And we're seeing that right now in in a small fold. We're seeing less of it now that these cuts are coming out there's ever a positive from from all these cuts, we we have to see less of these fake tough guys. But we were seeing it seven and eight weeks ago as it pertained to Chemayev. Everybody that was asked to Chemayev, no. Anyone who fought Chemayev and ended up getting stomped all got looked at or laughed at, which was wrong. They should have been praised. They should have been praised for having a courage that nobody else apparently has, including the guys within the top ten. I'm only bringing you the Chemayev story to accentuate my point that it's very tough to get on a docket with a former champion, with a headline guy, with a main eventer, with the guy on the cover of the Wheaties box. It's just a very hard thing to do, but we are in a very different time right now. And we're seeing the Kevin Hollins and the Jamal Hills of the world. And now Alex is going to have his shot, but we're seeing them jump into the forefront and when one star burns out another star is born i mean it's it's just the cycle of life and we see it the cycle of the life of your career within this industry but i feel like we're seeing it sped up a little bit it's it's exponentially fast right now it largely is because of the cuts i think uh, many guys are largely starting to see i'm going to have to fight for my spot i have to fight for my opportunity i'm going to have to fight for my placement this is the way it used to be I can tell you back when there was five and then six and then even after the birth of the Ultimate Fighter and they jumped to 12 events a year and 12 events a year when the UFC did, oh my God, how are you going to do that? Logistically, how are you even going to get that cage to 12 different locations? Now, this, they held 53 events this year. Oh, d- by the way, did you know there's a pandemic going on? I only bring that to you in perspective because when all of those opportunities started to open up, many of those guys that used to sign up for the very tough proposition of having to fight for your spot fight for your position fight for your job it's the way it used to be and there was a major time where guys got spoiled and if they weren't around before if they didn't see the other side of the tracks they couldn't even appreciate it and those guys aren't wrong we're all guilty of that as human beings we can't appreciate things that we don't know that happen we take it for granted that's okay but now we're starting to see the other side, and I can feel it. I can see it as a fan, but I can feel it in my bones. I can, I, I can feel where guys are starting to understand, man, this is serious business. There's only so many spots, so many opportunities, and so many guys, and we are going to go out, and we're going to compete for it. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do, and I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know it's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Guys, Mike Beltron has got a new shirt. Uh, I saw it on social media. I reached out and said, where do I get this shirt? Holitzerclothing.com. If anybody's interested, support Mike Beltron. Get a good-looking shirt. I got to tell you, Dana had to defend, and I was stunned that he had to defend this. Chemaev versus Leon, versus Leon Edwards. He had to defend to the media this booking. And there's some things that will never get Never stop being frustrating for me as a fan. It will never cease to frustrate me as a fan getting on somebody's bandwagon, helping them, whether it's doing a commentary on them or having them on the show or just sitting down and supporting the show by pushing the buy button, but in some fashion, in some realm, in my own little way, same as you, supporting them and watching them come in like a Kevin Holland type. Anyone, anywhere, anytime, any weight class, any way you want it. There's just this wonderful, awesome throwback attitude to a true competitor, which is what we truly want to see in sport. We constantly are trying to compare ourselves. And when I say we, I'm talking about the boys in the back. The locker room is constantly trying to fight with media and people's opinions to compare themselves and be looked at as equals to other mainstream sports. But in a million years, Eli Manning would not argue about showing up on Sunday because Joe Montana is standing across from him. That's too hard of a game. I need more. Equally, Eli Manning would not refuse to show up because he's standing across from a backup player and therefore that guy isn't worthy of being on the field and he doesn't want to go out there and compare game notes and numbers with a backup guy who hasn't been on Sports Illustrated as many times as he has. LeBron would not show up or refuse to show up or hold out for more to show up based on who he draws into the next week. No athlete that we would ever respect would do that. But the fighters, when it fits their narrative, trying to get more money or more attention or more acceptance, are happy to try to compare themselves to other mainstream sports. But then they don't want to do what these other sports do, which is simply compete. It's nothing else. It's just compete. So you get on a guy's bandwagon like a Kevin Holland who's doing everything right with the right attitude and all of a sudden he starts reading what they're saying about him and he starts to believe it. I have seen this more times, guys. I will tell you my own team. I came through Team Quest, one of the legendary gyms ever. Nothing single-handedly destroyed our team more effectively and consistently than the ultimate fighter. I am teammates to this day with one person who went through the ultimate fighter. And I've had over a dozen teammates and much closer to two dozen have that opportunity. None of them came back. Somebody grabbed them. They were on TV and somebody grabbed them. Somebody got in their ear. You're a huge deal. Here's how you should be managed. Here's how you should be treated. Here's what you should be compensated. Here's what's not happening where you are. Leave Team Quest. Come over with us. And they never came back. I bring that to you only because I I had to see this firsthand. I, I, I saw these guys with a dream, the glimmer in their eye, and willing to work and earn and sacrifice. And they traveled the roads and they made it. They made it to a big promotion, they made it to television. They now get to go out and do what they had dreamed about doing. All of a sudden, they don't want to do it anymore. You can't get them back in practice. They're too cool for school. Instead of coming to practice, they're out at the club. It's one of these things. And you see it all of these different times. And I do not suggest for you that that is what Leon is doing in the least. Leon didn't do it. Leon Edwards gets full credit for stepping up and doing something. I'm speaking to the people that are pushing back and making Dana explain why you would do the booking. At some point in this sport, somebody has to do you a favor. None of you in this sport are where you are in this sport purely because you earned it. Somebody said yes. It might have been Coker. It might have been Dana. It might have been an opponent. It might have been a manager. There could have been horse trading and a deal made behind the scenes. Whatever it was, somebody did you a favor. And to watch a fighter get up there in the loft and pull the ladder up behind him and not want to do that same favor back for somebody else is painful to watch. There should not have to be any explanation within the booking from the promoter. You have a guy who is completely undefeated and has never left left the first round. That is what his claim to fame is in Shemaya. That's it. You say he's overhyped, he's overblown. You say whatever you want. I'm, I, I'm not talking about opinion. I'm talking about facts. He's been in there three times in two different weight classes. He's never left the first round. That is his resume. He's taken a competing resume against a guy who has not lost in four years. His last loss in Leon Edwards was to the current and sitting champion in Kamar Uzman. He's on an eight-fight win streak. Damn interesting resume versus a damn interesting resume in the same weight class. Why would Dana have to explain that? There is nothing peculiar about that booking at all. Eight wins in a row, three up, three down, never left the first round. Which would you rather have? I mean, it's a fair question, right? What would you rather? Would you rather be Leon that you you have not lost a fight in four years? Or would you rather be Chemayev who just burst onto the scene, three up, three down, and never had to go a full five minutes? You can pick whatever one you want. What I'm trying to suggest for you is those are both pretty damn impressive resumes. That's what they're bringing to the table. That's interesting. That's compelling. That's star building. I will go back nonstop to the night that Daniel Cormier, ranked number two in the world, took on Pat Cummings. I will go back nonstop to Dan Henderson, who was a two-division, two-weight class champion, on his last fight taking on what was supposed to be an ace in the hole in Husamar Pell Harris? Pell Harris was supposed to come in, have this tricky ankle lock, stretch Dan's knee out. Dan goes off to another organization and Paul Harris picks up from there. There was nothing underhanded about that. That's what the business is. There's nothing underhanded about that. There was something very cool that Dan Henderson gave this guy who nobody had ever heard of, who never fought in the organization, never been on TV, and it's hard for me to pronounce his name 10 years later, of Pell Harris an opportunity. But instead of it being viewed, that's how it was viewed by Dan. Dan Henderson didn't give a damn. He's been in there with the Rampages of the world. He's been in there with the Fedor Emelianenko's of the world, with the Anderson Silva. He doesn't give a damn if it's Pale Horace. My phone rang. This is what I do. Use me three times a year. This is one of those three. And Dan Henderson will always be remembered for what he was, which was a diehard, gritty competitor. Not win at all costs, compete at all costs, which comes first, which is why people loved him. It's one of the reasons he had longevity in this sport. And it's the same mentality that Dan Henderson went out with that every fighter came in with. Every fighter came in with the, oh, my God, give me a shot. I'll do it. I can beat this guy. I'll take on anybody. Yes, sir. No, sir. They all came in like that, but something along the way happened. And I saw it firsthand with my own teammates. Fly off to Vegas, do the ultimate fight. I never see them again. They never came back. We became acquaintances and friends over the phone. Never saw them in the practice room again. I don't even suggest for you they were wrong. Something happens along the way. And you forgot what it was that got you here. When I look at somebody like John Jones, who I do not care for, but... I am also not ignorant enough to not appreciate and witness what is happening. I'm seeing a dirty, gritty competitor. He is so upset and so competitive about every damn thing. He got in a back and forth with a retired Khabib over a ranking that nobody even knows except for the two of them, but it meant something to him. And I respect that. And I respect the rest of the guys that will go out there and compete. You got enough barriers to entry going to be in a specific organization, have a contract with a specific promoter. Then you got to do a specific weight class for an agreed upon of rounds under a specific rule set known as unified. None of those things, not one of them existed when I had my first fight. And I don't mean to get the guy, you know, when when I was your age, we walked five miles to school. I'm not trying to do that, but there is a level of appreciation that I do or I do not have because I was there and saw it. And when these young guys come in and they're, they're trying to show a disrespect to those who set the table that they sit at, it can be very infuriating. I could not imagine ever in my career caring who I fought. Never, ever, ever, ever would that matter. Let's say you're not built with that. You now are a weight class. We didn't even have scales. It was my fourth fight in MMA when there was a didn't matter what you weighed. They just were going to weigh you in. I didn't even see a scale on the first three. Now you're telling me it's an elitist club with a specific organization. Oh, and by the way, it's going to be in a specific weight class. Wow. Who would possibly give a goddamn who that person is? If you're a real tough guy. Now you're telling me we're going to agree on the rounds? Oh, and by the way, the rules are going to be unified, sanctioned by... I mean, come on. The, the toughness is out of the sport. You're either a competitor or you're not. And most of you are not. Going back to a press conference, somebody weighs in on 170 pounds, brings up Usman specifically, and Dana says, Nobody was a bigger hater on Usman than me. But when he's done, he will go out as one of the top five greats to ever do it. Now, I have to tell you, a couple of reflections on that. First off, I don't remember when Dana hated Usman. I don't remember that time frame. Usman was always one of these really interesting guys because he was super handsome and he looked the part and then you couldn't win any positions against him, but he was real grappling heavy. And that's always been resisted within MMA. There has always been a narrative of you want to see two guys stand and bang. Until you see two guys stand and bang, and then you complain that there was no grappling. But it's one of these things that's just always been... They even got names for Wet Blanket. You're going to cover him like a wet blanket. I mean, it's just one of these things that has been around forever that largely came from a resentment, historically speaking, from the grappling heavy guy who was able to get position and win a fight. It just, like, infuriated the fight world. The taekwondo's and the boxing and the kickboxing, all these different things in the world were so offended. The karate's, they were so upset that this guy that we never even considered a martial artist can come in and beat any martial artist. So it it dates back, and I do recall, because I don't remember Dana ever having something against Usman. I don't remember ever that comment being made. I do remember the narrative that Usman... Was grappling heavy, and therefore, what do you do with him? Okay, but I had a similar path with Usman. By the time Usman got to the title fight with Woodley, the night before that fight, I remember doing coverage on it and fully acknowledging Usman's awesome. Usman was like 15-1 and one the night he felt uh, fought for the title. It's like 15-1, and one and he was just came over a very dominant five-round man-event victory over RDA. And RDA has been... The guy to be, he has been the the checkpiece that you have to get through for so many different athletes to lead into a world title fight at any rate. So when Usman is getting ready to fight T. Wood, I remember giving a breakdown of this and going, look, I know both of their resumes. I watched both of them in their amateur careers. Anything T. Wood, anything Usman can do, T. Wood can do better. That was essentially I am paraphrasing but that was essentially what I had said and it was definitely what I thought. Thought Usman's great, he can go hard, can't go quite as hard as Tyron. Usman can wrestle, boy, he did some incredible things in the amateurs. Tyron did a little more. Usman, boy, he's been in some main events and he Tyron's had more 5-round fights. It was one of these things where any number that I looked at, okay, it favors favors Woodley. So they go out there and fight, it was 5 rounds to none. Usman And I interviewed Usman after the fight and he comes up, he looks like a million bucks. You know, he's got the cool jacket on. I want to say he had the sunglasses on and he comes and he sits down. I'm already in the chair and he comes and he sits down and he never looks at me. And I said, Hey man, congrats. I looked over at him. He said, yeah, thanks. And he doesn't look at me. And I said, is there something going on here? And he said, man, I heard some of the things you said this week. Sound like you got a little heat on it. And he's still not looking. He's looking this way, and I'm looking right at him. I'm trying to enjoy his moment. It's his moment, but just getting to be around the guy. Right At some level, I'm trying to enjoy this moment, too. And uh, I said, Usman, I, I went to bed last night thinking you were the second baddest dude alive. I go to bed tonight knowing you were the baddest dude alive. Neither one of those is an insult. And he just stares straight. And he turns to me and he shakes my hand. He goes, you're right. He goes, you're right about that. And I swear, like our relationship changed. I'm glad that we had that moment. I'm glad he said what he had to say to me. But I'm glad I got to say my piece back. I bring that to you because though I don't remember Dana ever having heat with Usman, I just don't remember that. I can also internalize where I thought what we were seeing with Usman is something we had seen many other times from many other guys. It also took a while to realize the greatness. And I would go as far as with Usman. Usman is the first guy that you could argue is the greatest welterweight ever. If you ever say you know the greatest welterweight ever and you say anything but George St. Pierre, you look like a fool. Usman is the first guy you could argue and not look like a fool. You're not going to win the argument. You're going to lose the argument right now. But you could say it and have an argument. And I think that's what Dana is speaking to moreover. And George had some weird things happen in his career. Just things that you just can't outdo. George beat three generations. That just happened. I mean, there's some things. Matt Hughes had to stick around and give him the opportunity and then give him the opportunity again for one of those uh, pieces to be true. George had to clean out the division and start cleaning out for a second time, have Johnny Hendricks come in. George beats him, and then Johnny grabs the belt and runs off with it. I only bring that because George beat yesteryear, took care of his business, and then beat the next run. He beat three generations. You could do everything right, and maybe you just don't get that opportunity. So when I, when I bring you, if, if you're going to argue who the best is, you got problems going up against George. You just have some built-in mechanisms that you may never have an ability to overcome. But Usman slowly is doing just that. And I will tell you something. No, I'm sorry. I faked you. I can't tell you. Ooh, ooh, I have something I want to tell you. There is a guy, you're going to have to live with that, there's a guy who you know and whose opinion you would respect who trained with both St. Pierre and Usman for a period of time. You know what? I can't tell the story. I can't tell the story. I'll tell you this. Usman, I believe Dana's right. I believe not only will Usman go down as as a type 5 to have ever done it, I'm not sure that he's not extremely close and already in the upper echelon, at least within that weight class right now. Mackenzie Dern had a very interesting statement. I got to tell you, Mackenzie made a fan of me over the weekend. I never knew she was so gritty and so tough. I mean, I I just didn't know those things. She came in very grappling heavy and she also, in every match she had until Saturday, by the way, she had a meaningful, grappling, distinctive advantage over her opponent. Now, I believe she still had, even within the match Saturday, a grappling advantage. But it was not meaningful and it was not distinctive. In fact, to the point that it almost didn't even exist in 15 minutes of combat. So it was a different fight. That's why I bring that up. It was just a different fight. We were going to see a different side of Mackenzie Derner. She wasn't going to win. Pure and simple. And we did. We did see a different side. I mean, she was marching forward and throwing punches. Something happened with her nose. I didn't even know it happened. She said something in the post-fight interview, like it happened early, like she had to deal with a broken nose or something the entire fight, which only adds to the story. But Mackenzie Dern made a big fan out of me. Now, she came out, and not to mention she's sloppy, by the way. Sound like a backhanded compliment. It kind of is, but think of it in this regard. How much better is Conor McGregor going to get? How much better is Stipe going to get? How much better has either one gotten? You see the difference. Once you're really good and you're established, that that growing uh, learning curve, it just shrinks. It just shrinks and it slows down. When you're somebody like Mackenzie, where I'm calling her sloppy, I say that in a positive way, meaning look at the results she's getting. But she's relying on toughness. She's relying on grit. Her hands, her lefts and her rights, are over can, her lead jet, doubling that jab up. Hard thing to do. Only happens with practice. You could tell she had been practicing. These things were working. She's still, wait till she starts working elbows in. Plums, throwing knees, kicks to the leg, to the body, to the head, Pop, pop, pop following with kicks. I mean, some of the natural patterns that you see that you don't see her doing. So when I say she's sloppy, yes, I stand by that. and I understand that that is not complimentive. But the compliment comes with when you understand the results that she's getting and the growth that she still very clearly has, and not to mention is showing. Okay, here's the comment she made. She said, before I'm done, I'm going to break all of Ronda Rousey's records. And I was reading that. I'm going, man, it's always good to have a goal, and motivation is a wonderful thing that, albeit for me to take from anybody, what the hell record does Ronda have? I, mean, I was really wondering about what record does Ron, what what record are you going to break? I know that Ronda had by example, but she had a lot of firsts, right? Ronda has some records that simply can't be broken. First ever champion, by example. We well, can't become the first ever champion again. You can only do that one time. So Ronda is going to die with several records. I know that Ronda had X amount of defenses, but again, because she was the first ever champion, however many defenses she had, then goes down as the most defenses for any woman fighter ever. But you see where that's a little bit of a weird stat too, because she was the first and the only. And then I know she had an arm bar record, and I think it was four. And Julian Robertson either just beat it or just tied it, and I think she tied it. Four for four with the arm bars. I only bring that to you. What is McKenzie talking about? What record does Ronda have that can be broken? Don't forget the discrepancy in weight classes here. Ronda was a 35-pounder. So we're now not going after any record within 135 pounds because we're not a 135-pounder. We can't go after first, which are the records that Ronda still currently holds, because you can't be the first again, ever. And we can't go after the armbar record because that, you're now completely with Julia, uh, Julian Robertson. I only bring that to you because I'm, cur- I'm genuinely curious. What record is it that McKenzie is going after and what records does she believe that Ronda has or what records does Ronda have that I don't know about? Guys, we got multiple boxers. We got NFL players. We got baseball players, Jose Canseco, We got MMA guys. Diaz's Cody Garbrandt comes to mind. Mike Perry coming after Jake Paul. All of it needs to stop. We all now must unite and point all of our cannons in the same direction. Paul has to fight Dylan Danis. If any of you take that fight, you're a scumbag. That is Dylan Danis's fight. The game is over. The buck has stopped. It is Dannis versus Paul, or Paul can get his walking papers and go tell his story somewhere else. He assaulted Dylan Dannis in the street, a crime, committed a crime, filmed it on video, drove away like a little bitch. Oh, and by the way, not only was it a sneak attack, he also outnumbered him. He's also got like four or five guys in, in the truck. I mean, right, in all fairness, we all know how this works. And it was all fun and games, and the Pauls have done a perfectly fine job. Older brother Paul is going to fight Floyd Mayweather. I mean, right, there's something here that works. Great, it worked. It worked. Whatever you did to get Floyd out, it worked. Whatever you did, it's now Dylan. It's it's no one else. Nobody play this game anymore. It was all fun. He came after one of our own. He is now going to have to deal with it. That's how that works. They can pick the rules. It can be unified, Queensberry, whatever those two agree to. It is now Dylan, Dennis, and Jake Paul. And anybody that gets in the way of it, tries to steal that fight, does take that fight, is a scumbag. That is Dylan's fight, and he would back you, and we would all back you, the same as I'm telling you to back him now. The game is up. It is Paul versus Dennis or Paul can get out of the space. That was a halfway clever move, by the way. It was a halfway harmless prank. He used water balloons. He ambushed him. Fine. He outnumbered him, he drove away, and he committed an assault. He now has to fight Dylan Dennis the same exact way as we all banded together when Connor and the gang from Ireland decided to break into the Barclays Center and attack a bus, hurting Michael Kiesa, hurting Rose, trying to get to Khabib. Boom, everybody stands back. Khabib, you are now fighting Connor. Same thing has happened. Paul versus Danis, or Paul gets out of the space. All right, guys, enjoy the fights tomorrow. Make sure you are tuned in to UFC Fight Pass on Sunday for Submission Underground. All kicks off 6 o'clock Eastern until next Wednesday. I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. This week on Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski, Peyton Manning. This is Ron Jaworski. Today I'm joined by legendary quarterback Peyton Manning. You know, in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz had a run of like four years of playing terrific quarterback, and all of a sudden he gets benched. How surprised are you by that? It's probably a good year if there aren't many fans allowed at silly stadium, when you were doing Jaws. <laughs> you're right about uh, that. Have you ever given thought about possibly becoming an NFL owner or general manager of an NFL team? I've always envisioned you in that role. Yeah, Jaws. I mean, I keep looking for that three billion, but I <laughs> can't find it. It must be in a must be in another account that I'm not aware of. Yeah. So, hey, uh, I got a C note in my pocket. I'm I'll, I'll in invest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, we will form a group. Download new episodes of Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski every. Wednesday and Friday on Podcast One and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Guys, you need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yes, free. No subscription. No fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor and everything else from hit movies to binge watch. You're gonna binge shows. You're gonna be up to speed on the latest news. You're gonna catch live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free.